I'd like to welcome you out to another edition of the Lodestone Training and Consulting Podcast. I'm Jared Ross. Today I'm joined with Chris Johnson. And we're also joined today with Kirk. Glad you're here, Kirk. Uh, before we get into the, the podcast, just want to give you guys some information as to some of the things that are, are coming up in the next 30, 60, and 90 days. On the 9th of January, we're having our introduction to night vision devices. That's going to be held at F3 in Chantilly, Virginia. So this is a seminar that's designed for people who are interested in getting night vision, wanting night vision, or just to learn more about it. We're going to have different samples and different things there for people to look at, to try on, and to experiment with a little bit. It should be a good three-hour seminar. Again, that's at F3 Tactical on the 9th of January. The 6th of February... Here at uh, LTAC HQ, we're going to be having our Trauma Tactics Workshop. So that's going to be uh, half a day where we'll be teaching you how to aggressively treat trauma, gunshot wounds, and knife wounds. That will be followed then in 90 days out. We have the 18th through the 20th of March, our Pistol Marksmanship Series. So this is three days. You can take just the first day or the first two days or all three or any combination thereof. And this is where we teach the beginnings of, of marksmanship as we understand it. Uh, the first day is really designed for that person who's unfamiliar or just has a little bit of experience with a pistol. The second day, we build upon that and we start getting some good marksmanship drills. And the last day is filled with malfunctions. So we teach you the most common type of malfunctions and get you to work through it. And first you start with both hands, then you finish up with just your strong hand and then just with your weak hand working through those malfunctions. Again, that is the 18th through the 20th of March. All right. So Kirk, you're here today and we're, we're glad you're here and I'd like to turn the time over to you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, thank you. I'm glad to be in the Lodestone studio. It's, it's been a while. <laughs> uh, well, I've I've been doing this with uh, you guys for a long time now. Uh, I am uh, unlike the two hairy-chested green berets that I'm sitting with. Uh, I am just your average dude. So, those of you who are listening, I want you now to picture of us all standing with our shirts off. That's how he knows that. <laughs> yeah, probably not the best image imagery. But yeah, I know okay. someone just wrecked their car. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> Sorry yeah, in advance. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm Lodestone's uh, official civilian. Uh, I'm an IT guy in real life, uh, but I've been doing this for, for really a long time now with Jared. Uh, so it's, it's just become a, a real hobby and a passion. And this is, this is what I do on my vacation. You know, this is what I enjoy doing. And, you know, great that you mentioned that, uh, a March pistol class, uh, because that's one that I'm going to be teaching. Yeah. So looking forward to that, although not looking forward to the March weather. <laughs> and tell us a little bit about your childhood. What an event or, or something in your childhood helped shape you to who you are today? And well, I, I was I was lucky. Uh, back in the twenties, my grandfather. Yeah, okay, we're, we're going back a little bit. <laughs> okay, so you were a child in the twenties. No, I mean, no, 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 you're older than me. Well, it, you, you get the whole story. Okay, uh-huh. all right, all right. Uh, uh, back in the twenties, uh, my grandfather purchased uh, some land in the Poconos and built a cabin there, and it's been in the family ever since. And one of the things I did. Uh, uh, Every summer growing up was I spent two or three weeks with my grandparents in, you know, the great outdoors and that, you know, hunting, fishing, shooting, all of that uh, was kind of a real it it was it was a real change for me uh, because I lived in central Pennsylvania, 
you know, and neither my not neither of my parents really did any of that. So the first time I got to handle a firearm was when I was with my grandfather, and he gave me his little Winchester nineteen odd six pump twenty two. Oh, awesome! And like I don't know if you remember like the plastic baggies of Winchester ammunition, and sat me down and and we started plinking it at little like turkey targets and that kind of thing, and that was really what what set it off for me because that was. You know, it, it it's just such an amazing experience doing that for the first time, particularly when they're, you're that young. Because when you're young, you don't necessarily have control of a lot of things over your life. You know, when you're 10 or 11 years old, there's not much that say that you have in anything. You know, your parents are going to this restaurant. Well, I guess I'm going to this restaurant. But, you know, but shooting, it allows you to exert that bit of control and, and use that precision and, and that skill to actually do something. So that's really what set it off for me, you know, and, and, and uh, progressed from the 22 to my, my grandfather's uh, 3040 Crag carbine, which is, is a lot of fun. If you guys never shot a Crag, you know, gun nerd here, uh, they're, they're a lot of fun. And between, you know, the, the shooting and, and the skeet shooting, uh, which I am officially terrible at. <laughs> me, me a call, but, and and the fishing. I mean, it was a great way to spend three weeks of your summer growing up, you know. So that that's really what kind of did it for me. Any other experiences that you had as a kid? Uh, see, now you're going to make me sound like a yuppie, which I am most decidedly not. So, uh-huh. so what kind of car do you drive? Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> ignoring that, uh, growing up, we had uh, a sailboat as well. My father was was big into sailing. Uh, so we had a, a sailboat and I spent, you know, the weeks that I wasn't in the Poconos with my grandparents on the boat, you know, which it was a blessing and a curse because when you're, you know, I, I didn't have what I would consider a, a normal childhood, you know, where you go hang out with your friends on the weekends. Every weekend I was at the boat, you know, so it was a lot of good experiences there, uh, particularly, you know, confidence building, you know, you're, you're sailing a 34 foot sailboat, uh, through, complicated channels you I, I have a captain's license well expired now uh i know how to navigate with charts and plotters and that kind of thing so it was a good experience uh but that really uh, uh, that really helps with confidence you know especially when you're 13 14 years old you know have a spotty face and a, and a squeaky voice you know here you are you know sailing a boat so we've gotten the rid of the spotty face that's mm-hmm. good. That's no, I still have the squeaky. Sadly, the squeaky voice. That's what I was saying. Uh, I, I was throwing yeah. out the squeaky voice is still there. Sadly, sadly, the squeaky voice never left. Yeah, I'm going to say, I'm learning something about you today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not know that you had maritime navigation. That's I that is a great skill. Yeah. That you know, land nav. I'm all about that. You put me in open water or even on rivers. I mean, yeah. now you're. I'm. I'm out of my depth. This is, this is something that I'm, I will admit I need to learn more about coming up here, uh, you know, driving around with my family. We have this big river. You know, we've lived in the south where we have rivers, but we have this big river. And they're like, Dad, we got to get out there. I'm like, yeah, I should probably learn something about that. <laughs> well, we're also lucky because we're so close to Maryland, you know, and we have the Chesapeake Bay. Are we lucky being so close to Maryland? From a maritime okay. perspective. All right. Okay. Yes. Yeah, let's confirm that. Yes, from a maritime yeah. perspective. To all my friends in Maryland, our hearts go out to you. Yes, those of you behind enemy lines, the chair is against the wall. Yes, it is. <laughs> you know, really, with, with my teams, um, that was always like the weak point. Oh, so, yeah. So we would always, you know, plan, okay, we're in Afghanistan, we're in 
Iraq, we're in Jordan, we're in some of the place in, in the Middle East. Yeah. And uh and China EMPs America or things go things go south, things go bad. Now we gotta E and E our way all the way way back to the States. We always have, you know, the plan, okay, we're gonna go from this country to this country, we're gonna fight our way, and it always ended up now we're at the ocean. Now, how do we get back to, to, to the Americas? And, and, and we're, we're going to commandeer a boat. Okay, we can do that. Yeah. Very common, we can do that. Now, what do we do? And that was like where we always got stuck. Uh, we don't know how to, to, to navigate the seas. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and blue water sailing is definitely a different skill set. <laughs> well, you know, when I was in Boy Scouts uh, in California, we did one of our high adventure trips. We sailed a uh, three-mast ship from Long Beach Harbor out to Catalina Island. It's like, you know, 20 some miles or something like that. Oh yeah. The confidence. Yeah. Oh man. I'm so cool. If I had to do that right now. mm, (laughs) Yeah. Well, the, the physicality of it is what, what I would be concerned about now, you know, because, you know, even for a small 30, 40 foot sailboat, you know, hauling that stuff around is, is tough, you know? So, uh, you know, I'd I'd be worried about that. (laughs) I'd be worried about that. Cool. So when did you start to take shooting? Not that you didn't ever take it serious, but when did you start to take it a little bit more serious? Well, you know, living in Maryland at the time, uh, it was very restrictive. And, and, you know, I graduated in 92 at the be- you know, beginning of the assault weapons ban. So I was 18, so I kind of missed the boat on all the fun stuff. You know, I missed the boat in 86 with the, the Firearm Protection Act, and uh, I missed the boat in 92 with the assault weapons ban. Uh, and Maryland has its own set of draconian laws. So I, I kind of missed the boat on a lot of that. And it was a shame because that was really when I started getting into mm-hmm. actual shooting. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I turned 18. Hey, I can buy guns now. You know, and that holy grail of 21 when I could buy liquor and handguns uh, was, was still three years away. Uh, so I read a lot of magazines. You know, this is pre-YouTube when, you know, you get everybody's opinion on everything. I read a lot of magazines, and first thing I did when I was 21 was I rolled out and bought my first handgun. Yeah, and you know we all we all I'm sure I know you have experiences with you know purchasing your first handgun and the disappointment that ensued. <laughs> uh, my first handgun was a uh, Type 213 Chinese Takarov in nine millimeter. Wow. Yeah. Do you still have it? Oh, I still have it. <laughs> yeah, I am a firm believer in once it's in the house. It's not leaving. So I still have my 9mm Takarov that, that I paid the princely sum of $175 for. Uh, and after that, it all kind of it went simultaneously uphill and downhill. You know, uh, the, the purchases started getting smarter, uh, but they started getting more frequent and more expensive. Yeah. So after the Takarov, I, I bought, uh, I got a Browning High Power, a Mark III High Power that was made in Portugal, followed up very shortly by an Auto Five. Uh, shotgun, which was always kind of a dream of mine, because the, the Auto Five is that—that's the you know the the seminal semi-automatic shotgun. How cool is this? It's recoil operated. It sounds like an artillery piece when you pull the trigger and you're attached. Uh, I bought my first AR from uh, uh, in Maryland, uh, and that was an adventure. You know, I don't know. I know you guys have purchased uh, uh, during the assault weapons ban. Yes. But Maryland has its own set of rules. And one of those rules involves heavy barrels. Uh, so my first, like I think a lot of people, my first AR-15 was Bushmaster. Yeah. Uh, was yeah just that's a, the first one I purchased too. Yep. A, a 16-inch A2 fixed carry handle 
Bushmaster, but I got the competition model, which was the H-Bar. And because it was the H-Bar, I could walk out of the store with it that day. If I bought the M4 profile, you know, thanks to Maryland, I would have had to have wait seven days. Hmm. You know, so that was that was really, once I got the AR-15, that was really uh, when I started getting into shooting. You know, because all of a sudden here's something uh, with reasonably powered ammunition that has a reasonable amount of reach, you know, and, and has a reasonable amount of capacity. Uh, it's not, you know, my grandfather's 3040 crag uh, that you open the loading door, slip five rounds into it, and then, you know, go to town with that. This was, you know, rrr, got a magazine, uh, which were, of course, impossible to find in Maryland during the assault weapons ban. <laughs> well, that was, you know, I was same basic age. I don't know, maybe a year or two older. or, or I think older. we're the same, same age. age. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I remember when, when the assault weapons ban hit, uh, I, I still have a box of brand new M16 or um, magazine springs. Oh, yeah. Couldn't buy the mags anymore, but nope. I was buying all these components and stuff that, you know, I can repair and, and I, keep those mags serviceable. Somewhere, and, you know, this is 20 years that I've drugged these around yeah, now, yeah. somewhere in my basement is a box of Israeli ore lights <laughs> yeah. that were purchased from Cheaper Than Dirt, you know, which actually lived up to its name in those days. Yeah, uh, unlike now. Yeah, unlike now. Uh, that it turned out didn't work in Bushmasters. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that was that was money well spent. Uh-huh. Of course, rather than doing something useful with them, like chucking them, I, I still, still have them. them. Well, you know, we're a product of, of that assault weapons ban. Just oh, like yeah. our grandparents were products of, of, the of, depression. of depression. And they yeah. do still do, until they die, still did yep. certain stuff because of that depression. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I still have those springs. I still, you know, squirrels on that stuff I, away. Whenever know. I have... I have a box full of Troy manufacturing uh, AR-15 magazines with pink, uh, they have those pink grommets on the bottom, the bouncy things, yeah, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. That they're supposed to help you get the magazine out and when you drop it. Well, they're pink because they're breast cancer awareness <laughs> and they have a giant set of lips on them. Now, okay, I do have kind of a tendency to buy breast cancer stuff because my wife is a survivor. Yes. Uh, but the, the, the real driving force there was they were three ninety nine a piece. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, needless to say, you know, three ninety nine a piece. I'll take twenty. You know, and I, I figured, you know, if I ever have to put on my tire armor and spike my hair up, and uh-huh. you know, the world comes to an end, it, nobody's going to care if I have pink magazines with lips on them. But by God, I have thirty round mags for four dollars. There you go. You know. I so. just have a, a completely interesting vision of you in my head right now. Yep. You know, spiked hair, pink lip magazines. Well, you know whose hero is, right? Lord Humongous? Or? Lord Humongous. Yeah. 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 Lord Humongous, yes. Yeah. For different, you know, different body types, of course. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. it, it, hey, when this, yeah. whole, this whole COVID thing kicked off, that was my, uh, my imp- inspiration to start getting back in shape. It wasn't like, hey, I might need to be fighting and, you know, I, I need to be in good uh-huh. condition. Because let's be honest, I'm not going to survive very long, like a couple, maybe three, four years. So my, my, I can punish my body for that. I just want to look really good in my Lord Humongous outfit. Well, exactly. You know, I mean, I, I exactly. want to look good. Mm-hmm. I did find that the stock and the face mask were very restrictive. You, you, you got that Batman thing going on. You can't turn yeah. your head. It, no, it's very no. difficult. It's, yes. it's very bad for situational awareness. Yes, yes. yes. You know. That's why you have to have the minions. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, once once I got the AR-15, I kind of all, you know, spun out of control from there. And I, I started buying other stuff. And uh, I've always been a history nerd. 
So when I discovered like, wow, I can buy one gun a month, you know, one handgun a month in Maryland, you know, oh, this, no, this, this isn't good. This isn't going to work. So I became a collector. The CNR? Uh, well, no, that Maryland has a very specific oh, okay. collector thing where you submit your information to the state police and they do a background check on you. And then you get a letter back that says, I'm a collector, so I can buy more than one handgun a month. Uh, so got that and I started, mm, one handgun a month is uh, 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 very, very far away from what I ended up buying. Let's say that. Uh, I ended up with a lot of handguns. And of course, that was when the Curion Relics Market was so amazing. Yeah. You know, I, I, oh, hey, shotgun news, you know, who hasn't ruined weeks of their lives cruising through shotgun news? That's got to be a generational thing. It is. Does it even exist anymore? Yeah, it does. But remember how it used to be that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, no. I I think it's mainly like two articles in the ATF trying to entrap people with drop-in auto seers. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that that's the extent of shotgun news nowadays. But fuel, fuel filters. Fuel filters, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, what Solvent traps. Solvent traps. That's, yeah. that's what the big yeah. thing is. But in my day, in my day, Sonny, uh, <laughs> you know, when I read it, you know, they were just pages and pages and pages of surplus stuff. Yeah, yeah. And to somebody who's like 24, 25, uh, not making a ton of money, uh, you know, the the idea that I can buy a revolver that the Russians used in World War One and World War Two for $79 with a sp- spare cylinder that shoots 32 ACP. Oh, my God. Why wouldn't I do this? You know, so I bought Gantt revolvers, Mausers, Enfields, all of that. If it was if it was in the shotgun news, I at one point had it in my hands, <laughs> you know, Uh Ended up with some real storage problems that, that still haunt me today. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you cur- know, if you had come to my class on Sunday, you might have some solutions to that. Well, you see, the thing is, a lot of the stuff that I own now is still in the Cosmoline. Mm. Yeah, so, like, I have stuff I can put in the ground tomorrow <laughs> because it came that way and I never got around <laughs> to cleaning it. You know, because when you, when you can buy... a. Uh, uh, Yugoslavian Mauser, a twenty four forty seven or something like that, uh, for thirty nine ninety nine <laughs> off of Century Arms. You fix them pile. Why would why would you buy one? You know, I was buying these three at a time, six at a time. You know, and then the the UPS guy would give me these looks when all the you know six gun boxes show up. You know, oh, it's just four Turkish Mausers and, and three Serb you know Mausers. You know, so you still have yeah. some of that stuff. Oh yeah. Well, well, you just said you did. I'm, yeah. I might have to. Uh, yeah. We might have to talk. Yeah. Uh, if, if you're willing to part with some of that stuff, if you have six of them, maybe you might want to yeah. get rid of one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that's exactly what I'm sitting here thinking. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, if nothing else, I want some of these things because I'm always talking about oh, yeah. how to, uh, you know, you find it in the cosmoline. How do you properly clean it? Oh, how, hey. How, if we, you want to demonstrate at a class how to properly clean Cosmoline off a surplus yes, rifle, yes. I've got a rifle for you. <laughs> okay. All right. I've got a rifle for you. You know, thinking of expanding our media and, you know, going into YouTube things, you know, it's not a class thing. It's going to take up too much time, but that is an excellent yeah, one yeah. for, hey, you, you got this random Russian thing that's covered in all this uh, cooking oil, yep. you know. Do, do you happen to have an 8-millimeter Mauser? I've... That, uh, that, 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 that you would want to get rid of. I have six or seven. Yeah, I'm sure we could find one. Okay, because 
when I interviewed Abby, you know, and she's been married to me almost 20 years and we've had the opportunity to shoot all kinds of firearms. So I think it was in the podcast, either during or maybe after I asked her, you know, so what was your favorite gun? She's like, well, that I think it was a lever action, the the thing from Turkey that, that your dad had. I'm like, his eight millimeter Mauser? Yeah, because I shot that. and Man, that had some kick. That was fun. I'm like, oh, well, okay. Maybe a... I, I actually have uh, uh, three Turkish Mausers. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, the small ring, I believe the 1898s. Uh, they're a little rough because, you know, they're Turkish mouths yeah, and exactly. everything that comes out of Turkey is a little rough. Yeah. You, you know, this is really like, sometimes I feel pretty good about myself, but sometimes, man, I, I just, I have to hang my head. Jared described me earlier this week as the poor kid who just retired from the army and doesn't have a lot of nice stuff. Um, <laughs> and I, I remember <laughs> this is, a, it was less than 10 years ago because my youngest just turned 10. Um, she was a baby. We walked into a gun store and they had a case of Mosins and they were $89. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But they wouldn't sell me just one. I had to buy all 10. Oh, yeah. And and I I don't have a Mosin. And I'm like, and I remember like thinking, I should put this on the credit card. And this way, at least, you know, all my kids will have a Mosin. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's, it's something. And uh, I didn't do it. Now I'm sitting here like, man, I don't have a box of rifles. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just have like ARs. I you suck. Know, I'm the poor kid. You know, with, with my experience, and I'm sure, Chris, you know, you jump right into with my experience in Afghanistan and Iraq. Some of the cool the, the oh. one team house when I when I took it over, we we ripped the team. So now I'm like inventorying all the team property and everything. So I checked everything. Okay, got that. That's we actually had twelve uh, Kimber. A 1911s with that uh with that team house. Anyway, so I've got all the stuff. This is cool. And then I started noticing, hey, this isn't on the book. This isn't uh-huh. on the book. Yeah. And then so I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then I look up, and here in the rafters, right above the the um with the arms room in this team house, there must have been like 30 British Enfields, three o threes. Yes. yes. It's yep. like I w- would have loved to be able to bring a couple of those back. Yeah. It, some of my favorite memories of like. Someone bringing me like, oh, hey, Chris, you're the 18 Bravo. What's this? And bringing in this piece of history. Uh-huh. You know, um, we had some Lee Enfield rounds. With, they were the spaghetti rounds. Oh, yeah, the Cordite. The, the Cordite. Yep. And, you know, you, you pull it open and little pieces of spaghetti come pulling out instead of powder. And I, this is one of those <laughs> things that I will admit that my history gun knowledge at that point was not very, very expansive. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, that's great. That's interesting. Awesome, man. Hey, I'm, I'm in the middle of something. I'll get back to you guys, and we'll, we'll go through this whole thing. <laughs> and that's, you know, the doctor when he's like, oh, hey, exactly. that is an interesting thing that we got going on. I have to go take care of something really quick. I'm going to be right back. And that's when they go Google it. And they go yeah. Google it. Yeah. So I would have Googled it, and I'm looking at the, these, you know, cordite straws, and I'm like, yep. that is awesome. That is amazing. So I go back. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, um, during the turn of the century, they were going with a lot of different things. They were trying to decide what was the appropriate chemical com- combination to make a, a propellant. This is one of the experiments. It's fascinating. Here, watch this, guys. You know, watch them burn. You know, oh, look how slow it burns. Isn't that neat? You know, and everyone's like, man, Chris's depth of knowledge is just amazing. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> it, it's. Uh, I have a lot of IT friends. You know, you're mm-hmm. one of them. 
Um, and my IT friends say, it's not that I'm better at computers than you. I'm just better at Google than you are. Well, and that's, that is in a large part what IT has become. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, it, it's a Google race. Yeah. You know, and which is why a lot of uh, companies now have all of their solutions behind paywalls. You know, a lot of the stuff you can't get to in IT anymore <laughs> unless you've purchased their product and have support with them. So they kind of get you there. But uh, uh, anyway, <laughs> off the IT strain, because God knows I have to talk about that all the time. I know. I just saw his eyes cross. <sighs> so anyway, uh, the CNRs and, and the ridiculous pricing and, you know, the, the fact that I used to be able to buy a case of ammo dug out of some Yugoslavian farmer's field for $29.99. Uh, it, it led me down the weird path of cowboy action shooting. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I actually got into cowboy action no, shooting. No, no. Are you still living in Maryland, or did you... Still living in Maryland. Okay. Still living in Maryland, and this was, in the, you know, again, you know, make me feel old here. This was in the very beginning of, of cowboy action shooting. Uh, so I ended up getting... I, I inherited uh, both a Model 97 Winchester shotgun and a Colt Lightning in 4440. You know, talk about a weirdo. So I don't know a lot about the competition world, but mm-hmm. I do know this. In cowboy action shooting... You have to have, like, a handle. Yes. What was your handle? Reginald Throckmorton. <laughs> Reginald Throckmorton. Yep. You know, I have a brother-in-law whose name is Matthew Throckmorton. Throckmorton. Yes. Well, it's not, an un- it, it's not as uncommon a name as, as people think. Uh, but, you know, it was the old-timiest name that I could think of at the time when I was filling out the form. Uh, so, w- w- you know, Reginald Throckmorton had uh, two open-top... Uh, Black powder conversion pistols, right? The, the cartridge conversions, because uh, Uberti or whoever, the Italian gun manufacturer at the time, had just come out with them. And of course, you know, it, it's the man with no name. It's Clint Eastwood. This, this is what Clint Eastwood. So what, what happened? Well, I got two 38 special uh, revolvers, open top cartridge conversions. Ended up paying way too much <laughs> for uh, a holster rig, a dual. A very nice leather holster rig, uh, and that had all you know, three fifty seven, forty four forty, all of those. And I went cowboy action shooting, and it turned out it was not as exciting as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> uh, was it because you had to say something silly at the beginning of every stage? There was there was Thanks for the sky. <laughs> yeah, there there was an element of LARPing in it, and you know there still is because there, there, there's a big element of dress up in cowboy oh, action yeah. shooting. Yeah. Not not. That there isn't a big element of, of dress up in three gun nowadays too, you know. If you've ever been to a three gun match and, and seen like the professionals and their billboard shirts, you know, I, I consider that the you know the same amount of dress up. Uh, but cowboy action shooting was you know a step above. You know, oh, I've got a pipe, I've got a stove pipe hat. You know, great. Hey, I've got twelve rounds. You know, <laughs> so uh, uh, needless to say, that that was kind of my entree into uh, competitive shooting and from from there uh i i fell into the the uh, newborn world of three gun and three gun to me was, was like the neatest stuff because uh the stages are complex there's movement involved not that i particularly enjoy moving uh but hence the it profession that's the it profession that's right that's why i have wheels on my chair uh you know yeah <laughs> You know, you, you shoot pistol, you shoot rifle, you shoot all three loads of shotgun. You know, it, it's it's really an exciting sport. Uh, I think it's interesting that there is a sport out there that in, includes breaching. You know, I mean, yeah. shotgun—it's the universal key, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. 
And it it really lets you use all three of those because where where else can you shoot pistol up close and then next thing you know you run 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 or meander meander whatever your, whatever your uh, uh, ability is to the next stage and the next stage you're smacking steel at three hundred yards with a carbine and then the next stage you're popping clays with a shotgun mm-hmm. you know it, it's really really varied and it keeps your interest because it's not the same old thing like uspsa pistol shooting bores the crap out of me you know okay here we go beep ting 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 hit some paper targets and you're done but three gun there's movement and there's different targets and there's mental stimulation because you know you have to you have to remember you guys you guys have been in combat for god's sake so you know how difficult it can be to, okay, where's that next magazine, you know? Oh, I got to switch from, you know, this particular piece of equipment to a different particular piece of equipment, you know? So it, it Three Gun was, was really, uh, in the beginning, really exciting, and it had a low cost of entry, you know? You needed a pistol, you needed a, a carbine, and you needed a shotgun. And like all shooting sports, it, it's kind of been ruined at, at the upper levels by gamers yeah you know now you you know if i dig through all of my three gun stuff which is now obsolete because something new and different comes out every six months uh you know i have hundreds of dollars thousands of dollars invested in this stuff that's no good for anything but this particular niche sport you know and that that's what kind of drove me out of it uh i was at a match and i think this is really where uh, i decided you know what um i'm i'm i think my involvement in this is is done is when I had all this stuff on my belt, you know, uh, shotgun shells, pistol magazines, right? So that that's kind of what turned that off for me. And, and was it that you were looking at your belt and saying, "My belt is too small. I have to put on weight so I can have more well, luckily, real estate on my belt." Luckily, you see, I I've, I I wear the uh, the same pant size that I did in high school. So I've never had a problem with a lack of belt space. Oh, okay. You know, like people are like, I can fit into my pants from high school. Yeah, well, so can I. (laughs) I can't. Yeah. Nope, nope. So can I. I was 135 pounds when I joined the Army. Yeah, I was 135 pounds when I was like 12. So, (laughs) but uh, yeah, it was just the expense of it and then ammo got expensive. And and finally, you know, I'm now, I'll shoot. PCC pistol caliber carbine matches occasionally because it's fun and it's nine millimeter, you know, and it, it everybody, everybody should compete. And nine millimeter is cheap. It was, <laughs> it was, everybody should compete at one level or another, you know? Yeah. I've competed a couple of times and it's definitely beneficial, you know, especially for someone not like Chris and I, with our yeah. background, it, that, that stress, a lot of that self-induced stress, oh, yeah. playing with your kit it, under that stress. Yeah. There's a lot to be learned from that. Um, and there's that fine line between, you know, getting that good real training to prepare yourself, uh, to defend yourself. Yep. And then it's just a game. Yeah. And yeah, that, that's the one, one of the common themes in our classes, especially in our mid-level and our advanced classes is trying to differentiate, okay, this technique works great if you're trying to shoot balloons faster than the next guy. Oh, yeah. This technique that works great when you're trying to shoot balloons faster than the next guy will get you killed if you employ it when you're in a real fight. Um, and there's just those fine lines that, uh, yeah. that we like to you know differentiate and, and inform people on. Yeah, and as long as you keep that in mind when you're doing it, 
you know, there's always there's always that that drive when you compete to be faster, to be better, and unfortunately, to be faster and to be better at some of these these games, uh, you do stuff that you shouldn't do. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and know. not saying one's right and one's wrong. It's just you need no. to you need to clearly understand what am I doing? I'm playing a game. Yep. I'm yeah. I'm practicing a martial skill to protect myself and protect my loved ones. Yeah, my my, my favorite example of that is. Uh, uh, I was shooting a steel match with with my uh, PCC, and it, all steel match is is just a huge array of 40, 50 pieces of steel, right? Separated, mm-hmm. you know, separated out, and you know, I got thirty round magazines, so obviously I'm going to need to reload in there once. And also, since there's distance in between them, you know, some of these are five, six feet apart, I'm going to have to either move it within the box or just transition from target array to target array. And so I'm ting 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 reload ting 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 ting, and the the guy who was RO owing me his comment was, "Wow, you know, you you did great, but you could have been faster if you hadn't put the safety on while you were transitioning between the arrays." <laughs> and you know, this isn't the first time I've heard that. Uh-huh. This isn't because even with with you know fun matches or whatever, uh, the second that muzzle comes off target, I put the safety on. Like you could be so much faster if you're not putting the safety on. My response was, "Oh my God, you're not." <laughs> you know, take a couple of steps back, and like you're not. Uh, so it, it's stuff like that. You know, I've, I've seen. I saw a guy hopping on one foot, dangling around the side of a barrel, because it was set up so that he had to switch shoulders to shoot. Well, he didn't want to switch shoulders to shoot, so he kept it on that shoulder and just was hopping on one foot. Pulling the trigger, I'm thinking to myself, "This, why is nobody saying anything about this?" Because mm. no, other people yeah. are thinking, "Oh, that's creative! Look yeah. how he's solving this yeah. problem, well, and, he's, <laughs> and he's doing it quickly too." Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, because with competition, speed is king. Yeah. So yeah, there's as, on, a, on a local level, and I think that's really what I want to emphasize about this. On a local level, you go to your local club, and you shoot these competitions, and you're going to have fun. There's Odds are good. Nobody's going to be super duper fast. Everybody's going to be safe. Let's face it. You know, competition shooting is one of the safest sports in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just something you should do. Don't concentrate on worry about who beat who, how fast you are. Concentrate on getting those hits and reinforcing that stuff that you'd use to defend yourself. Yeah. You know, taking you know, that that oh, put safe on transition. <laughs> okay. You know, that kind of thing. Yep. That's good stuff. Yeah. So uh, what did you win in? What was the best thing you won in, in competition? Well, you see, the best thing I, I won in competition, there's, there's two best things. Other than, you know, pride and, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, uh-huh. uh, first of all, I, I kind of gamed the system a little bit because, you know, it's a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my, my love of uh, the FNFAL kind of, of, of uh, helped with that. So I always shot heavy metal. Right, and heavy metal was a 308 semi-auto rifle, a 12-gauge pump shotgun, and a 45 caliber pistol. <laughs> right, so heavy metal, yeah, and I always like saying it, too. Uh-huh. You know, it's through the devil horns, like, ah, heavy metal. <laughs> uh, but uh, I won, you know, I always like to say when uh, we teach the carbine classes and I pull the scar out, they're like, oh, scar, you know, they're nice, but they're real expensive. And I always like to say, oh, I got mine for free. You know, I won it in a three-gun match. 
Uh, and that is officially the coolest thing I, I've wanted, a three-gun mm-hmm. match. You know, the, the real truth behind that is, you know, kind of a half-truth. The real truth behind that is I was also working the three-gun match, and it was a raffle for the guys who were working <laughs> it. So, you know, I, I, I threw my ticket in the, in the bowl and was lucky enough that, you know, they pulled my ticket out for that rifle. Hey, a win is a win. Exactly. You know, I, I, I've had that. I've taken that shot, and I was like, that was amazing. Yep. And it was, uh, well, I was aiming for the other guy. It's a hit. Some people know what I'm talking about. Some people haven't watched and don't know. Sad. Sad. Uh, As to actually winning, uh, I did win an upper at uh, one of the FN Three Gun World World Championships. Uh, But, yeah, I I won uh, uh, an upper that still lives on a rifle today. So that that was my excitement. You know, I got to pick off the prize table. Cool. So where, when did you move to Pennsylvania? What time frame 2001. was that? 2001. I, I grew up in central Pennsylvania. I lived in Lebanon County until uh, 1987. That explains the beard and, and goatee and everything. Yeah, yeah. Lebanon County. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I lived in Lebanon County. Uh, always had a Pennsylvania Dutch accent, you know, because my, my grandfather spoke Pennsylvania Dutch. I thought you sounded normal. Yeah, well, I didn't. As a child, I didn't. <laughs> uh, moved to Maryland in 87. Uh, and then moved back in 2001 to Pennsylvania. Gotcha. Because uh, I, I, the political climate in Maryland didn't really agree with me. You know, and also my wife, my, so, my future wife, lived in Pennsylvania. So would you consider yourself a political refugee? Uh, that, that's a good question. You know, part of it is I'm, I'm a political refugee. The other is I'm a slave to love. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You know, I, For you I, Brian I, Ferry fans out there, <laughs> slave to love. I hope she listens to this. Yeah. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm throwing that, that concept out there. We have a lot of, we know political refugees now that have been forced to leave their ancestral homes. Oh, yeah. Uh, because of the yeah. the unfair climate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, the wife, the girlfriend at the time suggested, hey, let, let's move in together. And, and you're like, I have this enormous gun collection. I'm a giant nerd. I will never find another woman. Yes. In a nutshell, yes, yes. So we, I moved back to Pennsylvania in 2001 and uh, haven't regretted it. You know, it's been great. Uh, my wife and I just had our, our 12th wedding anniversary on Sunday, uh, which was nice. We celebrated on the 19th. Uh, and uh, we've been living together now for 20-some-odd years. So Cool. Woo-hoo. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. My but wife just- and I are coming up on our 20th uh next month excellent yeah 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 it was a good decision all around good decision all around uh, so 2001 mm-hmm. were you already uh getting involved with the, the foul files or getting on that board at that time or is that still yet to come that was a couple years after okay so okay well, like, when did we first meet we first met in 2011 okay uh at the small arms review show in york pennsylvania okay uh, we had a mutual acquaintance uh, who was uh, oddly enough selling off some FALs yeah. at a booth, and uh, you were right next door. Next thing you know, we're, we're, sh- we're talking, yeah. and uh, uh, that's how that began. And I think by the time I snuck out of there, uh, and I was competition shooting by that time. By the time I snuck out of there, you uh, had mentioned to me, "Hey, I've got a shotgun class coming up, and uh, uh, I could use some help with that." And that class was at that church right across the river uh remember 
it wasn't even really a range. No, no, no it, it was a range. I, I, yeah, it was yeah. a sm- small club. Small club. Yeah, and or and there was a church nearby. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah, and that was the first, and it was a big turnout too. That was like ten people. Yeah, uh, at least a big turnout for Shotgun. You know. Yeah. No, that was. Yeah. Shoot, I don't even know if I had left active duty at that point. I think I, I don't still, think you were. Yeah, I don't think you. So were. So I probably came up on leave or pass or something to to run that class. Yeah. Um. So that was one of the things that. Uh, not that shotgun class, but oh, the FAL but, files. The, the FAL yeah. files. That's something that that same uh, acquaintance. Oh yeah, he started getting me interested in that along with my dad. And then because I was active duty, I I missed out on a lot of the fun and the shenanigans of yeah. the early two thousands with with that crew. But but that guy, he's the one who uh, held my hand when I yep. built my first uh, FNFAL. He he and another gentleman uh, helped me build my first two. Yeah. You know, and it was really uh, uh, the Wiley Coyote School of Gunsmithing. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, any experienced older FAL filers out there will recognize that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, the one gentleman actually ground my locking shoulder with a, a, an air grinder to headspace the rifle. And it came, <laughs> and, and I will, to his his credit, you know, he, he was an artist. It came out perfect. Uh-huh. You know, uh, so, uh, yeah, that was how I... How I got uh, into that and met you, I, I, one thing I regret about that is I did not put the handguard ring on the, the rifle before I installed the barrel. So, whoops. <laughs> so, yeah, one of my FAL, well, my only remaining FAL still has that split. Uh-huh. And anybody uh-huh. who's built FALs knows the horror of that because it takes so much effort to screw that barrel in and get it headspace because you have to use the... The, the headspace rods and, and it's such a pain. Oh yeah, I, I did everything but but the headspacing, and that was yep. uh, our, our friend. Yep, doing yep. some unconventional stuff. Yeah, on, well, unless you have a, a baggie full of locking shoulders, because yeah, yeah. you never know what the size locking shoulder you're going to need. So by the time that was all done, and he, it was actually our mutual acquaintance uh-huh. who came out and said, "Hey, you know, we forgot to put the handguard retaining ring on." <laughs> like, that's fine. Cut it in half, and we'll yeah, we'll figure it out. <laughs> We'll figure it out. So, or zip ties involved? No, okay. no. They all right, all right. see. Apparently, we're not the only ones who have ever done that because they sell a, a handguard retaining ring <laughs> yep. in two pieces. You know, it, it's like the badge of shame for FAL owners is that that two piece handguard retention ring. Well, it was it was hanging out with, with that crew and and getting on the the foul files board. That's where I really oh, yeah. started learning about you know. The three, well, the seven six two cartridge and some of the old battle right. rifles and stuff really yeah. helped me get, uh, you know, passionate about that. So, as someone who is not an owner of a foul, mm-hmm. um, and I, I, you can hear the sadness in my voice yes. here. Yes, well, okay. it, it well yeah. founded sadness. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, my first exposure to this was in the eighteen Bravo course, and they brought out three rifles. They brought out a G three, they brought out an M fourteen, and they brought out a foul. And they're like. We want you guys to shoot these. This is during our big range week where we get to shoot everything mm-hmm. and anything under the sun. And you're finding things that are just, I've never even heard. There's something that shoots at, you know, amazing time. But they want us to shoot all these these three rifles. And uh, tell us which one is your favorite and why. And I, as a red-blooded American, the first, I'm like, that M14. Yeah, yeah. There's no question here, you know. Fired the, the foul last. And it was one of those like, I can't even. Yeah. Oh, this is so much nicer than anything. Yeah. yeah. Of the the, the the previous two, uh, 
provided. What do I own? I, I own a Semi, which is a G3, and yeah, it it well, sits in a bag a lot of the time. <laughs> and and let's, let's, let's clear the record on that, because mm. a lot of people make that mistake. The Semi is not a G3. No, no, the G3, the G3 is, a is a Semi. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, so I got uh, my mechanic, uh, and who's actually a student of ours as well, uh, one of his guys is a big HK fan. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm not the world's biggest HK fan. And, and I think. What do you drive? Uh, I didn't say German. Okay, I just <laughs> I, I wanted to clarify that. I yeah, wanted to that, clarify that, you know. You, what, what Chris is trying to get me to say is that my Mercedes mechanic <laughs> has a guy who likes HKs. Okay, all right. Okay, yeah, yeah there you go. It's out. And not only is it a Mercedes, it's a bronze Mercedes. Uh, for those of you that are just curious how I have him listed in my phone, it is under Bling Man. Yes, yes. And, uh, and, and the name of the Mercedes, because we all unofficially name our cars, you know, in one way or another. The Blueberry. Yeah. I drive probable cause. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, and if, if you read some of the things I've written in the past, you know, I, I kind of dig on the G3. I'm not a big fan. Yeah. Uh, and that comes from experience with both some of the Setmes, uh, with especially the Century built Setmes. Uh, and just some of the G3s. And I just, that whole roller locker uh, mechanism is just so harsh. You know, especially, it, it's like sitting in a straight back chair, wooden chair, <laughs> right? And then all of a sudden you go to the, the, the FAL, like, oh, it's an easy chair. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? it's, it's adjustable. It's adjustable. Well, next time you guys uh, around my dad, take a look under his left. Take a look under his left eye. He has a little, like, crescent moon scar. That was from him standing too close to somebody shooting a, a, a set me. Yep. And that brass is ejected so violently. Plus, oh, yeah. it, plus it was hot, so it came in and cut him. And, and then, then cauterized yeah, it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah so a yeah. little half moon right below his eye. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm just not a fan. Now, we will get your set me to actually work. Yes, uh, I mean that, because I, like you, I don't, yeah. I don't throw things away. And if someone mm-hmm. gives me a gun, and I, I have to be careful what I say on podcasts because then things happen. Um, <laughs> I will say that if someone were to give me a gun, I don't care what silliness that gun is. It could be, a, a, you know, a Tavor. It could mm-hmm. be a um, a Lorsen. A Lorsen. You know, yeah. it, it could even be a, a High Point. Mm-hmm. Okay. I will buy an extra magazine for it, and I will bring it out to the range, and I will play with it, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, you know how I put High Point and Tavor in the same category? <laughs> now, Just now, saying. Our fine friends at IMI, <laughs> and it is official that Jared and I are both IMI certified Tavor armorers. Yes, we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, although Jared was the one who broke the gun, not me. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Jared did manage to break it. That is uh, correct. Uh, yeah, yeah. We have I, nothing against you, I, I, IMI or IWI. IWI. IWI, yeah. I, whatever. Yeah, I... Again, showing my age, I actually have a, a an IMI branded Baby Eagle in my safe, nine millimeter Baby Eagle. So, like I said, they want to give me one for free. I will buy a second magazine for <laughs> yep, it, yep. and I will bring it out to the range, and I will shoot it. Yeah, yep. and I will always give my honest assessment of whatever I have. Yeah, yeah, I will. Mm, not a fan, but I feel that way about all bull pops personally. So mainly because I I shoot lefty, and it, it, well, you know the whole. Mm. No, I'll, I'll keep. It we can jump down an entire rabbit yeah. hole on that yeah. one. Yeah, no, let's, yes. let's keep. Yes. Yeah, keep push, pushing forward. Yeah. Uh, Sorry to derail everything. No, well, okay. that's okay. We've been derailed. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just thinking about 
Yeah. How fun it was, even though I had the limited access because I was, you know, deploying all the time in, yeah. in the early 2000s um, with with those guys. But that was just a fun group of guys. Oh, and, it was. You know, and, and, and the, the shoots up in uh, Central City where uh, we'd shoot in that old strip mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, the, and the great thing about that was, was, you know, not only talking and being around like-minded people, uh, but seeing other people's stuff. Yeah. You know, because uh, that was, you know, the, the golden days, you know, the, the last part of the, the golden days of the, the CNR craze, you know. So I'd have Turkish Mausers, I'd have Lee Enfields up there because, you know, what did I know? I, I had a station wagon, right? So I threw everything I owned into yeah. that station <laughs> yeah. wagon. Uh, I had Turkish Mausers and, and Lee Enfields and uh, uh, Mosins and all kinds, 30, 40 crags, all kinds of, of weirdness in the trunk 30, of my car. 40. 30, 40 crag. That's right. That's right. 30 caliber bullet, 40, 40 grains of black powder. Uh, all kinds of weirdness in, in the trunk of my, my little Subaru. And you'd go up and you'd shoot it and then you'd, you know, you'd meet people that have weirder stuff than you mm-hmm. do. Absolutely. You know, A42 Lungmunds in 6.5 millimeter, you know, sw- or Swedish, you know. Wow, I've never heard of that. That's a, that's an amazing, it's a semi-automatic rifle. You know, that's in 6.5. Holy crap, because who doesn't like 6.5? Yeah. Uh, you know, that was a laser beam. Or, you know, that's where I shot uh, uh, all of, that's where all of my 50 caliber experience comes from. You know, all of my 50 caliber experience is, what, 10, 15 rounds. Uh, but that's, that's where all of that comes from, shooting at 1,200 yards. Uh, and it was, it was a great time. And, and I hate to see, I hate to see the, the, the CNR market dry up, but that's understandable. Yeah. You know, there's only so many stockpiles you're going to find. I know, uh, who was it, Royal Tiger just imported a, a load of M1 carbines from Ethiopia, uh, but they seem to kind of be sore pipes, you know. And I know they also they haven't put it up on their website yet. Uh, but they, they imported uh, a whole load of French rifles, hmm. you know. And, and you know, there's always the, you know, the, the traditional French rifle joke, you know. Only dropped once. Yeah, never fired. Only dropped once, which is a real shame because they're 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 really quality pieces. Uh, they're a little quirky. But let's face it, that's the way the French are, right? Yeah. French are a little the, quirky. The bugle, right? That's uh, the Fonas. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. A, yeah uh, well, even even if you go back farther, like the, the semi-auto, what is it, the 4956, that weird semi-auto in, in 7.5 French, and the <laughs> Maz 36 before that, you know, that was like the beginning of uh, the uh, uh, modern French rifles. Before that, you have like weird steampunk French rifles. And apparently, uh, Royal Tiger has imported a couple of crates of them. So, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing that. You know, we're going to get you and we're going to get uh, Mr. Flynn on uh, the two of yeah. you. Going to have you guys talk about all, all sorts of... Oh, of, yeah. Of, all the weirdness. Yes. Yeah. That, that's going to be good. We should... Hopefully, we'll get that recorded in a week or so. Yeah. All right. So, I have another question for you. Shoot. So, how has your day job helped you... Uh, to be a better instructor? Well, I started out uh, in IT like many people do, especially getting into IT at my time, uh, in the time frame I, I entered the, the industry as a help desk guy, right? And uh, there, there's nothing more soul-crushing uh, <laughs> than being a help desk guy uh, because you're fielding calls from end users who, through no fault of their own, uh, have these issues that you see every day. 
You know, like, I can't open my email. I can't, oh, God, I can't print. I still have friends from the early days of my IT career who send me emails that just say nothing except I can't print. You know, because I, I was a low man on the totem pole. So when somebody couldn't print, I got out of my little wheelie chair and walked there. Uh, you guys have both been to Aberdeen Proving Grounds. Uh-huh. Uh, so I was uh, in the ordinance school buildings. Okay. So, uh, you know, I got out of my wheelie chair in, of course, the basement, you know, and went and, and fixed people's printers. Uh, but what Help Desk really gives you is, is the, the ability to not only teach people, but the patience to teach people, you know, because the, this secretary doesn't know why she can't print. You know, it's not her fault. So you can't just go in and, and, and be a jerk about it. You know, it, it teaches you that patience to fix her problem and then explain that problem to her and how she might be able to fix that problem in the future. And I think that translates right into uh, the beginner shooter classes, you know, because with the beginner shooters, it, it's the same kind of situation. Uh, every class, uh, we show up with people who have a gun in a box that they just bought you know, and they don't have any idea what to do with it. Uh, They have no background in firearms. We're seeing that a lot, particularly in these last six to eight months. People who would never have considered buying a firearm are now buying it. And it really gives you that background to uh, uh, be patient and to walk people through something step by step. You know, it's, it's, it's like any teaching thing. It's a structured teaching structured set of steps that you have to go through and you know whether it's fixing somebody's printer oh god larry vickers is going to get a kick out of that whether it's fixing somebody's printer (laughs) or uh uh, teaching somebody to shoot a a pistol for the first time it's certainly different content but it's the same sort of thing yeah you know so years of doing that (laughs) so I want to talk about those beginning classes, but before we get into that, let's talk mm-hmm. about that the first shotgun class with that. Oh, I yeah. asked you to help. Yeah. Um, because my experience with running a shotgun prior to that was like Chris mentioned at the very you know beginning part of this podcast. It, it, it's the master key. Uh, I, I'm using that to get in, and that's really all I'm using for is, is to blow that lock. Yeah. Um, so that was it. So what I wanted to do with that that shotgun class is I wanted to take my understanding and experience in combat and in combat shooting, basically with a rifle, all those principles. And then now we need to apply it to the techniques of, of running the shotgun. And that's where you had tons, oh, yeah. tons of experience with that shotgun. Well, and that was kind of at the height of, of when I, I was doing three gun, mm-hmm. you know, 2011, 2012 and uh, was practicing every night. I mean, uh, I've gone through those, aluminum azoom snap caps i've gone through at least a hundred of them doing nothing but loading a shotgun loading it this way loading it this way you know and and so that's you know i was that was a great mix that first class yeah uh because we were able to teach modern techniques uh and the modern techniques the competition techniques at that point weren't so over the top outlandish that you felt that they have no application in the real world yeah like shotgun looting shotguns uh, uh competition shotguns today has no application in the in, in the in the real world you know the way you carry the shells the way you manipulate the shotgun you, no no it, it's john wick mm-hmm. you know and and that's 
it, it just doesn't work like that. Yeah. You know, and it's definitely uh, a different a different style. Yeah. And it doesn't really necessarily apply to actually using a shotgun in defense of yourself. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And that, that class was, it, it, in preparing that class, it, it taught me a lot yeah. um, with that platform. Because um, for me, if I need to go to a weapon, I'm going to go to my AR. Oh, yeah. Uh, home invasion, I'm going to that. Uh, and if in a pinch, uh, I'll get to my pistol so I can fight myself to my AR. Mm-hmm. I'm really not going to go to that shotgun. Um, but a lot of people, that is that is what they go to. And yeah. like Abby, that's what she had to use because yeah. that was what was available when we she yeah. dealt it, with the home invasion. It's funny because I'm the same way. 100%, I'm grabbing my AR. Uh, after that, you know, pistol to fight to an AR. But after taking Kurt's uh, <laughs> shotgun class, what did I do the next day? I went out and got myself a new shotgun. <laughs> yep, bought a shotgun. Because the shotgun that I had was not the right shotgun. Yeah. Yeah. And so if I'm going to have the tool, I'm going to have the right tool. And I definitely learned that in that class. And then what, not only the, the, the firearm, but other tools that made that firearm more effective. Yeah. And made sure that I got those things at least on order. And hopefully they'll show up some point. <laughs> well, with the post office today, who knows? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. you saw that package is just tumbling yeah. and tumbling on the conveyor belt. Yep, pretty much. And and I think we'll we'll talk about this uh, w- with Mr. Flynn uh, coming up uh, when we talk about fifty state compliant firearms. Uh, but one of the things that people don't understand, and I see this when I teach the shotgun class all the time, uh, people don't understand that there's a technique to it, you know, and there is a, a set way of manipulating that shotgun. Yeah. Everybody assumed, oh, it's a shotgun. You just point it in the general direction and you pull the trigger. And, and no, you, <laughs> you really don't. And I was, I was actually thinking about that on the way over uh, because uh, somebody had asked me a question a couple of days ago about revolvers and said, oh, revolvers are so much easier to shoot. And in some respects, that's true. You know, you point it and you keep pulling the trigger until it goes click. And if it doesn't go bang, you pull the trigger again. But there's a whole underlying set of techniques under there to shoot a revolver well you know you have to understand double action triggers you know you have to understand if you're going to shoot single action you have to understand stacking the trigger you know so that you pull that hammer back just far enough you have a chance to drop it single well not drop it single action but you, mm-hmm. yeah yeah stacking the trigger uh, and reloading techniques you know how many different weird ways are there to load a revolver it's not just you know there's two different kinds of speed loaders i could think of off the top of my head there's speed strips have you ever used anything more infuriating than one of those bianchi speed strips <laughs> i mean seriously and and like even getting them in there you know but there, there's underlying techniques to everything that we talk about and people assume that they're simple and it's not you know, shotgun in particular is a thinking man's game. You have you have eight rounds. You have less ammunition in your shotgun than you do in your your, your carry gun. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's a thinking man's game. And it's just the same with revolvers. So a lot of people have their eyes opened when they when they show up to this, particularly the shotgun class. Like, wow, there's a lot to this. Yeah, we have that uh, one student. My goodness, he's been to that same. Oh yeah, shotgun class. Yep. Uh, you know the 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 intro or the first shotgun class. Yep. Uh, level one. 
five, six, seven times. Every like time it comes up, sometimes twice a year. Yeah. Yeah. And he's been to the more advanced ones oh, as yeah. well. But, but yeah, he, cause he, he doesn't get a chance to work that shotgun mm-hmm. any other time. So he comes to that class with, yep. I'm getting my reps in today. Yeah. Yep. And that, that's really what it is. You know, you, you're in your basement with snap caps or you're out on the range shooting. Yeah. And with shotgun, that is particularly important, you know? Well, one of the things in having run that class with you that in, in spending some time with you on the range, I really appreciated your ability to uh, to calm people down and to talk on their level and get them, you know, the patience that, that you have. So I've really enjoyed that. And so that's one of the reasons why uh, I've wanted you to to teach those basic classes, oh, yeah. those those level one pistol and those level one carving classes. And quite often anymore, I'm I'm usually not there. Yeah, it's usually you running it, mm-hmm. and then uh, with with somebody uh, giving you a hand, somebody competent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I was just having the conversation with my one of my daughters about, hey, in March there's a beginning pistol class, and I want you to take it because this instructor that teaches it does it in such a way that all those things that I'm like getting frustrated with you because I can't tell you how many times I've told you how to do that. And why aren't you doing it? He seems to be able to make it happen. You know, well, he's got the magic touch. Well, so what are those classes? Those beginning pistol classes and those beginning rifle classes, what they are the first couple of days of the flat range at, at Safal. Oh yeah. 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 Basically. So, yeah. so then what we've done is we have taught Kirk those correct principles and he's running enough and enough where um, he understands them just like we do, even though he doesn't have that same background. But then since he doesn't have that, you know, army army background, um, he's coming at it from a completely different perspective and a completely different uh, persona so that those people who are showing up for a class for the first time, which that could be the most terrifying thing they've ever done in their life. Oh, yeah. And it often is. Yes. Uh, he's able to, hug them and cuddle them in, a, in a, an emotional way and get them on through success. Yes, in a non-sexually harassing yes. way. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, you well, know... Go ahead. Uh, if you finish your thought. I, I was going to say, you, you mentioned the different perspective. And that's something that we're always, you know, preaching. We want the different perspectives. Jared and I always look almost identically from the same, you know, whatever the target is, we see it from the same side. Uh, but if the target's a building... You know, it's a three-dimensional object. You need to look at the other sides. You need to see the problem from those different points of view. So Jared and I will talk about, you know, principles of concealed carry as men who have carried, you know, with the the concept of I'm stepping out the door and I'm getting in a gunfight today where you have the ability of coming at it of I put a gun on every morning thinking, Lord, please don't let me use this. Yeah. But if I do, I need to be competent and ready to use this and sure. know this. You have, you are, you're more relatable in that aspect because you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And you don't have that background that we have of, yeah, we've done it. We, we've had to shoot people. Um, and because we have those experiences and we have that training, we feel that we need to continue to do that. You've made that choice. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, in all honesty, I've probably been carrying a firearm as long as, almost as long as you have. I know you just retired with 20 years. Yeah. Uh, I've been carrying a firearm every day for 19. Yeah. You know, it's just different situations. Mm-hmm. Now, I've, I've only had to draw a firearm in, in anger 
twice. Nice air quotes. Yeah, nice air quotes. <laughs> yeah. uh, and both of those times were working at a retail establishment that, that was a gun and pawn shop. You know, so I, 21, 20 years uh, of carrying a firearm, and to me it's become a tool, you know. Uh, Out of all the things that we've talked about, we're going to hear probably the most people say, I want to hear that story for another podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, one of the thoughts that I had, and you had, you had mentioned, and you you have told me a couple of different times in, in different ways before, how your firearms handling and your marksmanship and everything concerning that has improved. Oh, certainly. Since you started working and and training certainly. with, you know, with with me and, and with us, uh, describe what, what are those differences and yeah. how has how is that certainly and, and way to brag yourself up there. <laughs> <laughs> no, it it really is the truth. Uh, I was self-taught, like a lot of people. You know, I, I started out shooting with my grandfather, mm-hmm. and then just uh, uh, like gun magazines, because that that was my time, uh, and and self-taught. And there, when you do that, there's a, a lot of different techniques that get melded into one. Of course, I read a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, so like, hey, this Fairburn and Skies, this sound, I'll crouch and punch forward and shoot. You know, and and. It's it's nice when I started teaching with you guys. Uh, Ooh, but before you started okay. teaching with us, to your credit, you were already doing all those comps. Oh and, yeah, and you were winning some some good oh, competitions. Yeah. I, and I stuff. was doing so, well, so you were a pretty good shooter. Yeah, I, I certainly mm-hmm. uh, uh, not to uh, blow my own horn, but yeah, uh, I was I was a, a pretty fair shooter at that point. Uh, but after like one of the big one of the big things for me uh, with with what we teach is finding the target with your eyes first. You know, to me that was, because I had already had trigger control down, you know, I'd already had the, the most of that stuff down. Uh, what really got me was finding the target with your eyes first. You know, because I, I will freely admit, before that, when I, when I would be shooting a match, I would be running that gun right along, you know, and just finding that target with my the muzzle the same time I was finding it with my eyes, which, of course, as you know, leads to hunting and packing, mm-hmm. right? You know, and, oh, there it is, right? And that was the big thing that, that really changed that for me and that made me a better and a faster shooter. Now I find that target that I'm going to shoot with my eyes first and then bring the gun to that. And that, that for me, was really the revolutionary part of that, you know? And I don't use the word revolutionary lightly because that really made a difference, yeah. you know? Because, you know, the, the principles... Uh, uh, are all pretty standard, you know. They're they're all important, but particularly with combat shooting, and which you guys know, and with competition shooting, you're not always able to utilize all of those. But that finding the target with your eyes is something that you use every time, every time you pull that trigger, you know. And so, there you go. Uh, but yeah, I became uh, I was really surprised. And that first shotgun class we taught together was mm-hmm. like, wow, that that's a good idea. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? You know, so uh, yeah, I, I'm, and that's what I that's what I tell people when I teach. You know, we we, we teach this. This is the same way that little army uh, teaches big army graduates, and this this really works. You know, it really really works. Cool. I I can't uh, end this podcast without mentioning. Uh... Shooty and squeezy. Oh yes, <laughs> shooty and squeezy. I, I, on my. So again, this is a perfect point of we're teaching the exact same thing. Yes, same thing, same principles. But uh, I, 
I forget what class because I I just started letting you take over the, those early ones. So you've yeah. been teaching for a while, and I sat in on one, and you blew me away when you're talking. I never heard yeah. you use shooting and squeezy. Shooting squeezy. Well, and it, it's it's you know I've always I've always said uh, people learn better when they're uh, interested and they're entertained. You know, uh, nobody wants to be sitting in a fast times at Ridgemont High class. Uh, well, we're going to learn about Cuba. You know, nobody wants to listen to that. So you have to be engaging. And one of the ways to do that is, is humor, you know, and, and shooting and squeeze are a great way to do that. You know, it teaches the concept. It's funny. So people are far more likely because I get students, you know, that I had years ago come up to me. Oh, yeah, shooting and squeezy, you know. <laughs> yep. uh, so it, it's just the way to do it. And, and I love no. What is shooting and squeezy? Yeah, you, you still haven't explained it. Yeah, so, yeah. I know, I know. I, I, so shooting and squeezy is a good way to describe handgun grip, right? You have shooty, which is the hand that pulls the trigger, and then you have squeezy, right, which is your support hand. And shooty and squeezy work together, okay? <laughs> so shooty is the one that doesn't apply all the grip, right? Because shooty's pulling the trigger. It's fine motor function, right? So you don't want shooty to be like, strangling somebody right <laughs> you don't want you, you don't want shooter to be gripping that gun like he, he, it owes you money right and then squeezy is the other hand that's the hand that keeps control of the handgun right so it's just a, a, a simple thing and you know it was an off-the-cuff remark at one of the first classes mm-hmm. that just seemed to work well, you know you, you've seen um the stickers that I did, the Less Talk, More Rock yes. with, with Chuck, yes. Chuck Berry. Chuck Berry. Yes. So, uh, you know, all of us need to start doing our, our stickers. So you need to design your shooting, shooting squeezy. squeezy. Well, I, yeah. honestly, I, I haven't been kidding all these years. I just haven't gotten to it about the Amazon <laughs> children's book. Oh, no, we need you to know? do it. Yeah, we need, to, we do need to do it. Definitely. Definitely. But I love teaching the, the, the introduction to shooting, the beginning shooters. The beginning shooters, Because for me, that's that's where all the squeeze is in, in the juice. Yeah. You know, that that's what I really enjoy. Uh, you know, acting as a gateway to push them and to get them ready to go to you guys. You know, uh, I, I'm I'm a big fan of allocating resources where they do the most good. And, you know, you guys teaching the intro classes isn't a great, out when you could be doing something else, isn't a great allocation of those resources. And I'm, I love teaching those beginner classes. Yeah. So. Anything else you want to talk about? Oh, I think I'm going to save the rest of that for next week okay. when, when we have Mr. Flynn. Yeah. And then we can completely nerd out. <laughs> oh, yes. It, yes. It'll be epic. That's, yes, that's for sure. It, it will be an epic nerd out. Yeah, so uh, you're leaving the cliffhanger there. like Which which one? S- yeah, uh, stay tuned. Stay tuned. next episode. Yes. Next episode. Which, which may be like uh, two episodes down yeah. uh, the list if you're, you know, trying yeah. to go in order. And, and sadly, the cliffhanger is two guys talking about old guns. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'm telling you, I, I love the history of it. And as a guy that I know the military weapons of modern warfare really, really well. You know, I've done all my research and all your your Eastern Bloc and your your NATO allies and all that. You start talking about some of this turn of the century stuff, and I'm I'm right now on uh, um, Royal Tiger looking at these things like I didn't even know there was such a thing. <laughs> yep. Oh, that's wow, that's interesting. You know, 
Uh, it, it's great to have you as a resource for a lot of this stuff. Well, I think when we start talking, uh, like next time when we, when we have Mr. Flynn around, uh, when we start talking about 50-state compliant firearms, you know, it, how nice would it be to have a firearm that you can throw in the trunk of your car and drive to California with and never have to worry about? Yeah. Well, we've you been know? working, and it's you and Flynn who've been, who've been driving yeah. it, but we've been working on coming out with a, with a couple live fire classes yeah. that's a very specific to the lever action and, and yep. some of the other stuff just... Yeah, the, the lever action and, and more, and even a closet carbine, mm-hmm. you know, what you have in your closet. Like I would, hey, I, I have a 30, 40 Craig carbine in my closet. You know, let's let, let's get a second mortgage for the house, get the, enough ammo to shoot it <laughs> and, and take it out and shoot it, yeah. you know. On things that you have in the closet, my retirement gift was a black powder revolver. Uh, a a Navy, rep, uh, you know, a Colt Navy Colt replica. Navy, yeah. yeah. Um, it's got all kinds of cool engraving and I don't believe in wall guns. I don't believe in something that's just a decoration. So it must be shot once. Yeah. <laughs> so we need to go to the range. We need to put five rounds through that thing so it can then go then on the wall. T for trained. Right? Yeah, yeah. T for trained. Yep. Then it can go on the wall. I, and I was in the same room with it. So I'm an expert. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Cool. Exactly. Well, thank you, Kirk and Chris. And thank you guys for listening and we'll talk to you next time. Awesome. Great. What if I hold gone? Served my country well. Long time. Come on,